and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. This episode, my guest is Lonnie Scott. Lonnie wears many hats in his life. He's a heathen, a runester, a father, a hypnotist, a tarot reader, the Illinois Troth representative, and ha- and the host to Weird Web Radio Podcast. Lonnie, does that about cover everything? Welcome to the show. I think that covers most of everything. Thank you very much for welcoming me. It's a really cool honor to be here. It's great to have you with me. I've been wanting to have this little session with you uh, for well since I started the show and got introduced to you through the troth and through other aspects of things and listening to your own podcast, Weird Web Radio, which I have a lot of fun. It's a nice nice topics and some cool stuff that you have on there. It's a nice variety. That's what I try to do. I'm always targeting people who I think are interesting and have a lot of cool stuff to say. Mostly I'm in my show I'm digging into people's personal practice. What makes them tick, the kind of things that are going on between their ears, you know, <laughs> and, and see if I can pull any of those benefits out for everybody listening. I think you do a great job. It's a lot of fun to listen to your shows and uh, get introduced to some of those those very different activities and Thank topics you. and things like that. It's really cool. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, talk about with you, Lonnie, was our, with rune work. You have uh, studied runes for um, a while. And you quite familiar with them. And I'm sure that working with your tarot work as well, that uh, runes is a nice extension, nice addition, nice kind of a parallel thing to, to go along with that. And I work with runes and I love being able to just talk runes with somebody. So uh, let's talk about runes. How did you get to interested in runes and what kind of brought that about in your life? Uh, well, you know, I found my way to heathenry through runes, to be honest, way back in my baby pagan days. <laughs> uh <laughs> I, I was 17 years old. I, I'll, remember, I'll always remember this. You know, I'd gotten into paganism and the occult a little bit, just exploring whatever little paperbacks you could find at Walden Books. That was the local bookstore here. When I was, uh, I think, 13, 14, something like, somewhere around there. We're talking in the early 90s. And my first one, funny enough, was uh, Celtic Magic by DJ Conway. <laughs> I laugh because uh, there generally wasn't anything at all use in that book, but uh, it, it sparked my curiosity. It kept me moving forward. It was written in a way that felt like I was welcome into this whole world where magic could be possible. And then I found my way into, you know, man, I tried everything. If it was on Egyptian stuff, I was curious. If it was Satanism, I was curious. If it, if it was... Um, you know, druids or any anything you could think of. It really wasn't a lot to pick from back then. I would just read everything I could get my hands on. When I was 17, a friend of mine, uh, he's, he's Chuck Smith, and now dead. I always want to give him credit by name. He, he has these two books, <laughs> and he says, I think that they'll be of immense interest to you. Uh, one of them is uh, Futhark by Edred Thorson, of course. And I'd been exposed to some heathen stuff as well from another friend of mine, Paul Peterson, uh, oddly enough, also dead now. Uh, and he, he he wasn't really connecting with runes. It wasn't his thing. And I had read some just general heathen things, but I hadn't read anything that was specifically focused on runic magic, I guess, at that point. Not like not the way the Futhark was written. The other book he hands me is Lieber Nolan Psychonaut by uh, Pete Carroll. And that's, of course, you know, one of the bedrocks of modern chaos magic. And those two books did something in tandem while I'm working my way through them that really excited me. He had what I thought was a real, legit, working magic program, uh, in Lieber Knoll. And as I applied those techniques in my life, I started seeing results. So of course I'm going to be hooked. And Futhark, I, I know better now on how Edred writes that sometimes what he displays as ancient, ancient tradition isn't exactly ancient <laughs> traditions, but it, but it did feel like you were steeped in something older and more genuine whenever you were adding runes to your work. So as I'm learning how to use sigil magic and create, uh, you know, different ways of launching them and using them, I got more curious about bind runes and how I could bring the forces of those runes together into something that would be more applicable to my desires. And it's just, it's more aesthetically pleasing to the eye. It, it resonates with something inside me that says, this is this is the world that I want to be plugged into, the worldview, the cosmology that fuels my magic. I want it to come from here, wherever that may be. I, I didn't know exactly what I was doing at that time. <laughs> 
And uh, I just I went forward exploring runes magically. It was a really long time before I even touched runes in any way to use them as divination. Mm, wow, that's a, uh, that's interesting. It's almost a little bit opposite for me because I got introduced to runes from the divination side. And I think my first copy was also Futhark. <laughs> uh, it was the, the first book that I picked up. And then it was um, Diana's book after that, Taking Up the Runes that I got a hold of. And uh, But it was kind of the, the divination aspect of runes that uh, opened up a new aspect of thing and not necessarily only divination, but like a way to connect connect with and communicate to the gods you know it almost was almost like they opened up doors and windows to the to the nine worlds for me and it was through the divination aspect of it but i didn't like focus on divination but it it just kind of really opened up this whole new perspective into the nine worlds there and then it's just in the last couple of years that I really started exploring the magical side of them and the bind rune side and and rune spells and things like that. So and and actually going into lore and and stories and poems and things to see how they're written about has been very very interesting. It is really cool how they've been written about and the different ways they've been presented over time. You know, like most modern, I call it modern esoteric rune tradition. I don't know what else to call it because <laughs> nothing that we're buying is an ancient practice. We don't know pretty much anything really with any certainty at all what uh, pre-Christian runic magicians were really doing with these things aside from what we find carved on objects and things of that nature. And we can guess, right? but there's not a word written about any of that by their hand. Um, that all, everything we know with any degree of certainty uh, comes from post-conversion era written by Christian hands. And there's always that chance and <laughs> that it's not being presented, you know, the way it would have been. Uh, I'm, I'm immensely thankful for the work of academics who do the painstaking work of picking apart languages and history to try to figure out what is and isn't ancient. And they're not even doing it for our benefit. I still find it. <laughs> I'm still grateful for them anyway. Um, I agree with you there. The, that's work that's just really puts me in awe and amazement of those people and all of the work that they do. Yeah. And, you know, all of that is generally the elder Futh arc. Uh, the modern esoteric rune tradition is mostly focused on the elder Futh arc. And as the years have gone by and I've worked with the runes and studied more about runes, um, you know, you start to learn that more about these other runic alphabets that were out there, but I've never felt compelled to go to any of them to work with them. Uh, (laughs) And it's funny to me because, you know, there's so much written in the modern esoteric rune stuff that focuses on the elder Futhark and in, in history, the elder Futhark is what we know the least about academically (laughs) exactly (laughs) we know it existed that's about it yeah it's it's largely the meanings and things have been reconstructed to put it back together and you know most rune books that you buy they're you know for rune magic will probably include the rune poems in there somewhere and none of those poems were written for the elder futhark (laughs) right yeah they were all written for other runic alphabets but there's I don't know. It probably has something to do with the fact that I first plugged into this magical, <laughs> this magical thing uh, through the Elder Futhark. So they just sort of they are runes to me when it comes to magic and divination. But what I what I've done, I've really done this over the last few years. I've been focusing more on studying how you know a rune from the Elder Futhark has been defined through academics and through the rigorous scholar, you know, scholarly study of them and, and say, well, if Fehu, for example, if they're going to say it means cattle or wealth or fee or something of that nature, no, where in the lore will you find cattle or the movement of wealth or the exchange of property and things of that nature? Where, where do you find that stuff where it's hidden in the stories of the sagas and the stories and the eddas? Now, how do you translate that into something that has real meaning and depth to that rune? Now, 
once you've done that, you, you are not playing with the academics anymore. We are fully off in esoteric land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is fine by me. I'm not working with the runes to get degrees. I'm working with the runes to work magic. <laughs> so, yeah. So and, I don't have no shame about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's nice to have that academic sign though, to give us where they were and when they were and, and who used them or who was, how they integrated in, or that they were integrated into culture in some way. Uh, so yeah, but uh, moving into the esoteric side is definitely not academic in a lot of ways. No, it, but but that's why we're here, right? To get into esoteric stuff. So you know, you come back to the rune. Let's say Fei, who is an example. You've you're looking into the lore and you're trying to figure out where this ties into stories of what that what academically we know about that rune's meaning in any way, shape, or form. And you bring it forward. Now, how do you work with that personally? Well, those stories can be inspiring, but what does what does wealth mean to you? You know, if cattle to them was this movable and transferable wealth, then what is movable and transferable wealth to you in the modern day in your world? How are you going to work with it all magically? Well, you don't have to do what it was or even try to guess even what they were doing. You can look at some of the techniques that have been presented, you know, carving them on objects, naming things and so on. <clears throat> but they're, that's where my chaos magic approach comes in. I, I start to turn them into uh, bind runes and things that come from sigil magic influence that way. I like to go into trance and meditate on the subject matter that is attached to that rune and see how that can further empower what I'm doing or even help me go forward in my own life. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, Lonnie. It's, it's amazing how you can see all of these different aspects of things and how they translate into today. And, I, and I, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's modern esoteric. It's not, it's just all your UPG or it's, it's not as valid as the ancient stuff. Well, like you said earlier, we don't know how exactly they practice. We have runes carved into swords and, and shields and helmets and things and on other aspects. And we have poems and things that were recorded, written down from oral traditions that were passed on through hundreds of years. But like you said, by their hand and in their own writing, we don't have the book of spells from, you know, 835, you know, common era. <laughs> we just don't have that. No. So, and even if we did, it just wouldn't be as effective for us today, would it? Because we have a whole different way of doing things and looking at things. And our, our cultures today are so influenced and integrated with so many other people from around the world based on what we're doing today in our, our communication and travel that a book of spells from rune spells from 835, <laughs> they might not work as well. So we've got to make them our own, don't we? And and I think as we saw from the rune poems, we have the Anglo-Saxon rune poem, the Icelandic and the Norse, which survive. And you compare them to one another, they don't say the exact same thing. And you're like, hey, wait a second, how does thorn mean giant here, pain and a thorn here? You know, it's just, I think it's, the runes reveal themselves in different ways to different peoples and cultures for how they need them. I, that's exactly right. And uh, in how they reveal themselves. And I mean, for myself and my own practice, I, I know how to plug into the elder Futh arc in this modern way through my own lens and practices I've taken from other places. And I, I mean, honestly, if you were to read, <laughs> Uh, I like Icelandic grimoires. I, I can't think of the names of them, but I know one or two probably ex exist. Not from heathen days, of course, but, you know, there's an awful lot of obsession with, like, bloodletting a nipple and <laughs> getting something from a corpse and doing, I mean, nasty oh, shit, yeah. right? You like so <laughs> I, Don't they make a set of pants or something out of a corpse? Yeah, necropants. Oh. And, yeah. <laughs> and the necropants are like a financial sorcery you know you're, you're supposed to be able to pull coins out of the scrotum <laughs> yeah exactly you know like so if there were an ancient text that survived i'm not sure <laughs> that we'd want to do it anyway you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think hanging out in uh, graveyards and mortuaries are slightly reminiscent of Frankenstein. So that's kind of a little yeah. 
No, I'm, because, I mean, there's evidence that survives. We know that runes have been carved on objects to be like, you know, this is they name an object like this is luck. And then it'll say like, alu, 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 or something after it. And there's there's plenty of debate over what exactly alu means. But uh, I find it's great for long, drawn out, deep chanting. <laughs> oh, I do too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, so so apply that to today. Are you going in for a job interview? Like put a little piece of paper with runes. Like this is luck. Just say this is luck and put it in there. Hide it somehow in your resume stitch it into your winter coat this this is warm (laughs) yeah yeah you know you know one of the things that i recommend for say luck on a resume is to get like um cinnamon or some sort of pie spice spices or or those types of things that are often associated with bringing in luck and stuff and dipping your finger in and then doing the bind rune or the luck rune on your resume before you send it in or uh, or channeling that energy onto the screen if you're going to electronically do it but that way it's not clearly visible but you've got that essence on there as you send that resume off it's one of the uh, rune spell type of things that i recommend to people to to kind of enhance their resumes or whatever yeah what i like the most about that is the only thing ancient in that practice for sure (laughs) is the rune Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else is is doing what is practical and what has been proven in in recent decades to work on the magical effect, you know, here in our world, what we're working with. And there's nothing wrong, like we've been saying, to bring those runes forward and work with them in a modern way. Yeah. Civilizations and cultures and people have been doing that as far as I think we can ever tell is that at once they interact with another group or something, they say, oh, Hey, that's pretty cool or whatever. And they were always integrating different practices from other experiences, uh, what works and what doesn't and sharing those. That's one of the beauty things about magic and spirituality is that we can share it with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Cultures are a, are violent, horny things that like music and art and they don't stay stationary or static. They move and bump and grind and do their thing all over the world. That's kind of what culture does. That is. Yeah. And I'm with you on the uh, Elder Futh arc. I, I don't know. I guess maybe it's like reading comic books. You have your era that you started reading comic books in. And you're like, that's my era. And uh, I started learning with Elder Futh arc runes and they really resonate with me. I really enjoy them. And I've tried working with the other Futh arcs in certain ways, but uh, the Elder, I just have this affinity for this is this joy of working with. I like their shapes. I like their sounds. I like the way they integrated with me it's a lot of fun i agree yeah it has you know like um ann sheffield wrote a great great book on the younger footh arc uh long branches i believe is the name yes. of the book fantastic it book is. i <laughs> if that sort of effort had ever been put into the elder footh arc and you know it's rare and hard to find it's it's really good and i still can't i just don't connect with with the other Futh arcs the way I do the Elder Futh arc for, for good or ill. Um, it works for me. And I, when I think about it more, I like the mystery of the Elder Futh arc. Sure. It may have, it, there's a possibility, albeit I doubt it, that it was just an alphabet used to record things on stones and other items that have since decayed. Of course, that's a possibility. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to rebuild what they did with them or anything else. There's something about the way they interact with my mind that says to me, magic lives here. So how do I work with that in a magical way to unlock that to get the results that I desire? That's what really matters. I agree with you so much on that, Lonnie, because it's so resonates with me as well. And it's it's one of the ways that I try to encourage people to integrate into the runes is to say, how are they working with you? What are they doing for you? Since the runes became really a big part of our pagan landscape, as you will, since the 1980s, then even what they, how they reveal themselves then to now, 30, 40 years later, they're going to be slightly different. They're going to interact with people in different ways. Yep, I agree. So let me ask you this. What ways, because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just not sure how to study runes or I'm not sure what I need to do. 
What are some of the things that, that worked for you as you started integrating that relationship with them? How did you start processing that and developing that uh, relationship with the runes? Well, for me, again, it was mostly magical seeking, you know, reasons. And I, I would just think, you know, if, if I have this uh, specific goal in mind magically, you know, like let's say I want to somebody, somebody really pissed me off. <laughs> uh, here, here's a real world example. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, uh, I started carrying all my occult leaning books in the backseat of my car in high school. Someone didn't like that and they damaged my car. And it was it was left and made clear that was the reason why. <laughs> by the things they put on my car. <laughs> wow. I'm thinking, how do I, you know, the, you go through the police networks and you file your report and you do what you're supposed to do. But now I go home and I'm thinking, you know, I've just been introduced to runes and chaos magic and all this stuff for the prior year. This is getting into my senior year. How do I use these runes as a means to find who did this? And when, once they're found through the runes, how, what runes need to be involved to, to punish them to strike back at them for doing this <laughs> and then i'm an angry teenager how bad do i want to hurt them you know yeah <laughs> and and no i'm not crazy talking about curses and laughing i'm just saying <laughs> i was mad yeah and uh i just i you know it's funny as i'm sitting here thinking about it i wouldn't even use i probably wouldn't use the same runes in the same way today but you, you put together this project and you I, I toy with it. Like how do these runes, how should they look when they come together in a way that looks like a weapon that is striking out? So I'm trying to, to formula form them into this one rune that, that appears like sort of a spear and fire, how it would attack and burn and cause consequence to what was happening. And I sent it out and the people that were involved end up getting arrested. Uh, I don't know if they got hurt or anything, but <laughs> they certainly got caught. I don't know. This goes into another part that I think we as magic, magical thinking people need to quit doing. I almost say, I don't know if my magic has anything to do with it. Maybe it doesn't, but at least they got caught, right? Mm -hmm. Give ourselves more credit. You yeah. did the thing. Something happened. Give yourself credit. Stop. <laughs> even, even I have this reflex to like try to say, well, but maybe it wasn't anything I had something to do with. Yeah, we... We influence events in the world to cause something to happen. So just that little tangent there, own it. Just own it when you think you've actually influenced something, except that you've done so. So, I mean, that that's kind of how it, it boils down. There are a lot of ways to use runes in that fashion, but ultimately it is putting them together in a way that makes sense to you. If what you're doing doesn't make you feel like you're doing magic, then you're not going to do magic. It has to feel like you're doing magic in order for you to be in that right mindset to set it out. So that's that's one way I start to learn and develop runes, just figuring out the puzzle of how, how do you bring these different powers together in a way that work in tandem for a specific desired goal. In order to know what you're doing, you have to study more about the runes. You have to spend more time in contemplation and trance over what they mean and start thinking, you know, if... If Thurisaz and, and Othala are together in one unit, why would you do that? To what purposes would that serve? How does that make sense? You know, where where can it come from in the lore to inspire you uh, to connect to those deeper mysteries? You just have to put in the time and the effort to actually sit with them, contemplate them, meditate on them, work with them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, build... You know, one cool thing I saw, I, I did this years ago. You can, you know, grab a notebook if you're trying to learn the runes of the Elder Futhark or any Futhark for that matter. Grab a notebook, center the page, write the rune out nice and big so you, it becomes a centerpiece. And start collecting pictures of things from magazines or books or downloading them off the internet and putting them on the page that make you visually think of what that rune is associated with. And build yourself a little visual notebook that way, a visual reference chart. And when you're doing that, sit in contemplation and meditate on that rune and the associations that you've built up around it and what that means. Once you start to get solidly connected to all that, start asking yourself what, what, how that translates into your personal life. How, what does it mean on a grander scale in the world that you actually live in? Yeah, that's. I think I rambled enough. 
great idea. I really like that idea. I think with your permission, I'd like to borrow that way to do things and start sharing that with folks as I teach classes on runes. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not so sure I'm the one that created that idea. <laughs> it is a great idea though. I, I, yeah. What a fantastic way to do that. And also um, I think in, in con- conjunction with that is just look for the runes as they manifest every day in whatever we're doing. Sometimes we pass over so many magical things or spiritual things that happen to us because we're so focused on the divine or we relegate our spiritual work to a specific time, either this altar space or this ritual time or this meditation time. And I think sometimes people and myself included just kind of pass over the magical things that happen to us on a daily, minutely, hourly time or as you're walking down the street you know, something happens and can make you think of a rune or a god or a goddess or some some cool experience. So it's I think it's bringing that into it as well. Well, that's that is a fantastic point, and it's it's another thing that I like to do. Go on a walk, like you were talking about. Take a just go say with set destination. Something important in magical practice, work, uh, etc., is the intent. Have intent to do something and carry out that intent. So let's say I just want to walk a mile. I choose the destination, you know, starting point is my house. I'm going to go to a certain point. And along that journey, I'm going to take my phone with me. I'm going to find runes. Yeah. <laughs> and as I and as I'm walking, I'm take a picture. So let's say tree branches have fallen to the ground in the shape of of a rune, you take a picture. And it's stop and look around and see if there's other reasons for that rune to be in that spot take a picture walk a little bit further you see a truck full of cattle drive by take a picture yeah that's a rune that, that is, isn't it <laughs> yeah is it early morning and the sun's rising take a picture of the sunrise contemplate the mysteries of dagas carry on or call <laughs> herself you know yes so you just keep going um and, and by the time you get to the end point, if you're really walk slowly, walk with intent, find the runes as they appear, not just the shape of the letter, but the rune itself, the mystery as it appears in the world. Find it. I like that. I recall when I was in San Francisco a couple of years ago, I was walking down the street and all of a sudden there was I was painted onto the street. It was a, a plumber or a a, a worker's mark, but there it was. And it just struck me as, and I've passed over those kinds of marks before. And it's the same one. I see them all the time now, but before mm-hmm. I never noticed it. And then all of a sudden it was just, I was standing out to me and I was like, Oh wow, this really stood out to me as I was, okay, what's going on? Why do I need that message for this moment? And, um, and I looked at it and sure enough, you know, I was able to integrate the message into the per- my purpose is why I was in San Francisco for that time. I love that you say it's not just seeing the symbol but seeing the rune in action mm-hmm. yeah see the rune rune is not just a letter it's also a mystery <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. and that's another one of the things that i try to uh, expand out to people is the runes don't exist only on that little stone or wood or that that image that you draw or that card that's just helping us to kind of visualize or, or make a connection to it but really uh, the rune is far more than that it's that mystery that that action that's happening, that spiritual force that's influencing us. So that's really a cool way as well. Love that. Yeah. I have a friend who goes on walks and she calls it the daily Oracle. And she just takes random pictures and posts them on Instagram. And nice. Yeah. Uh, it's, she's not, she's not connecting them to runes unless she says, Hey John, is this connected to runes? Cause she doesn't work with runes. She works tarot, but she just posts daily, um, how does she call it? Her daily walk oracle or something like that. Sidewalk oracle. And it's just random things. And it's, she she posts the message she gets and she says, what does this make you think about? And I was like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a really cool way to do things. Uh, going out on walks and connecting to the world is a good idea anyway. Uh, but having that intent to find mystery in the world, especially in places that are so normal to you, that in an animistic world, you don't have to go to anywhere special to encounter spirit. It's all around you. Just start noticing it. Exactly. And for some people, they're, I mean, they think that, oh, I live in this city. It's all concrete and steel and glass. There's, there's not any messages there. Yes, there is. There's a lot to be found in a city. It's different. Mm-hmm. But it's there. Yep. Absolutely. 
Yep, I agree. Uh, wow, a lot of fun. So, Lonnie, let's let's talk about a certain writing project that you were involved with not so not not too long ago. Uh, you wrote uh, some topics for um, an anthology called El Has a Blaze. And I'm looking at one of your, I don't know, how many articles that you have in there? Just one. I have one essay. Yeah. I'm looking at that essay now, The Ancestors, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, or uh, Self-Discovery and Awareness. So tell us a little bit about your, your project for that and what that's about. And um, can we still get El Has a Blaze? Absolutely. Yeah, El Has a Blaze is available in Kindle and paperback format on Amazon and I think it is only available on Amazon. I'm pretty sure we didn't distribute out to just independent booksellers. <laughs> Why did I write that essay? Good question. Uh, part of it was to jailbreak the ancestors from the folkish crowd in heathenry. Um, ancestors are a big part of my personal practice anyway. And ancestors are a big part of spiritual practice in traditions all around the world. Yeah. There's, there's... <clears throat> there, there are so many ways to connect with ancestors, and uh, the the again the ancient heathen world, the the ancient heathens didn't give us a how to and how they honored and connected with their ancestors that we can work with uh, necessarily. And you're we're given <laughs> we're given this sort of window. You you'll hear it all the time, and there's nothing wrong with it necessarily when people say I found my way to heathenry because uh, I feel like it is my ancestral tradition, right? Mm -hmm. I have ancestors are from Northern Europe. That's what I feel called to do. That's what I'm doing it for. The problem starts when you start telling people if you're not Northern European <laughs> or European, you can't play along, that you can't come and practice heathenry in this way. And that—that <laughs> uh, that is such a ignorant and dumb way of understanding ancestry and genealogy anyway, that it deserves to be pointed and laughed at. But that's not very practical, is it? So, <laughs> how do you share with the how do you share with the world how to connect with ancestors? Well, here's here's what it is. An ancestors are uh, a force in our lives that care about us. If if they exist at all, they care about us more than any other spiritual force we're probably going to connect to. They have more interest in seeing the success of their line and their grandchildren, their great great grandchildren, and so on. If you have a skill or something that you wish to learn or something you want to connect to, there's a very good chance you have an ancestor somewhere on your tree mm -hmm. that can help guide you or at least influence your life. That you run into the right resources and the people that can help you. Uh, there's protection, all sorts of ways that you want to hook up to the ancestors. Inevitably, though, you're going to have an issue where you don't want to work with a certain ancestor. There's an asshole on the tree yeah, uh, or someone who's dangerous or abusive or just a horrible person on the tree. And maybe they were someone that you knew in your life, especially like a great grandfather or grand, you know, and so on. You have an option here in this world in this time to heal what it was that was handed down to you, because whether you like it or not, that stuff was given to you. You don't even have to have known your great grandparents for them to have passed down some psychological level of bullshit mm -hmm. <laughs> that harms you in some way. Uh, if the research has shown, if like you had your grandparents or great grandparents lived through the Great Depression and famine, that it has this negative impact on you in, in some fashion. You'll have a tie to that negativity in some way. Alcoholism and drug addiction are obvious examples of things that get passed down in a family. You know, you can go, you can go anywhere and find somebody who'll tell you that you know I don't drink because my family has a lot of alcoholics, right? Yeah, stuff like that. Well, here you are standing in the world now. You have taken the effort to learn magical skills. You probably know how to meditate. You may know how to go into trance. You know how to work with runes and tarot and other things. Why not begin the process of both communicating with your ancestors in a strategic manner so they can help you heal whatever it is that's being passed down the line and landing on you so you don't pass it down to the next generation. You're changing the ultimate weird, as it were, that is going to flow through you to the rest of your family generations later. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote that essay. And it's it's a method on how to begin those practices. It's an introduction to meditation so you know what to do to use discernment in your mind. It's an introduction with a brief hypnosis script. I'm a professional hypnotist that you can use to induce a trance to begin communication with your ancestors. It's also got a divination technique that I developed and shared 
So you can facilitate communication with your ancestors that way with using either tarot or runes. And ultimately what I'm hoping that you'll do is, is heal a wound that's been handed to you. You know, my father was an angry alcoholic when I was a kid. Uh, he was pretty violent when I was a kid. Uh, his real dad, though, had nothing to do with him. We don't even have his real dad's last name. He grew up blocks away from that man, knowing that it was his real dad, mm. having nothing to do with him. It's not an excuse for his behavior. It's a reason yeah. that he he may have gotten twisted. And he goes to Vietnam, does three tours of Vietnam. Wow. And the horrors that were involved with that uh, comes back, starts drinking, drinking, drinking. I don't know what kind of pain he's drinking away. I just know he, he was drinking away pain. And he inflicted pain on some of the people he loved most because that's often what damaged people do. Somewhere in my teens, he quits drinking. He, he starts to get better. He becomes a better man. I can tell you right now that I, my kids could not have had a better grandfather before he died. Uh, and I'll give him that credit. So I, I took it upon myself to begin to heal that ancestral line. There's something broken. Mm -hmm. Not just where my dad was on that line, but his dad. And maybe even before him. So in divination and trance, I'm looking for the broken part in the chain so I can begin healing and helping elevate those ancestors, whether it's calling on, you know, psychopomp kind of gods and goddesses to come and intervene, focusing and directing this channeled energy, whether it is just a general kind of, you know, that energy we all throw around in pagan world. No definition or parameter, just energy. Energy. <laughs> yeah. Energy. Energy. Trademarked. Pagan ways. <laughs> yeah. Throw throw that at them, whatever that visualization is to you. Um, send them love. Send them compassion. Send them healing. If you can't reach that level of care for someone that may have hurt you or down the line hurt someone you love that ended up hurting you, try sending not hate. <laughs> Start somewhere call out to a deeper ancestor from the part of that line that is resolved and say, look, can you come forward and help me do this to elevate that ancestor? Because ultimately uh, this is, this is, if it's doing nothing else, it's creating uh, a safer space inside you when you, those memories are accessed and those thoughts are accessed. So you don't end up spreading that poison in any way into the future generations. That's a really great advice about, not sending hate. Yeah. Just keeping it, it'd be hard. It's not easy. It's going to take time to develop that place yeah. where you're not sending hate, but you can just send neutrality. Right. So it can be that you don't have to send love because that takes time to heal, mm -hmm. like you said. So if I love the uh, the exercises you put in there, you've got some really great exercises in here to for meditation and going through this stuff. And I wanted to ask you about the um, the lineage aspect of it. So you talked about knowing our lineage, where we come from. Well, I often get asked this a lot, and um, I have a way to respond to it, but I'm going to bring you in on this too, is sometimes people say, well, I was adopted. I don't know what my ancestor is. I don't know my lineage. Uh, how do you respond to that type of question? Do you think the lineage is the family that adopted them into it, or do they still work off onto the lineage they don't know or both? Yeah, it, it's a question that I get asked every once in a while, too. Before I get into lineage, I just wanted to make sure, too, that I'm not telling people that if you have some someone on the ancestral line that hurt you, that you have to work with them in any way, shape, or form. I'm saying if you want to take up that that task, here are ways that you can do it. Uh, do not put yourself at further risk. If you need to get assistance from someone else, please do. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clear. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> now that said lineage, <laughs> if you're adopted, those people are your family. Um, the, the ancestors in that line are your family. If you wish to know more about, uh, genetically, I guess, what the, the things that are flowing through your blood, mm -hmm. what the people are going to pass on, the likelihood of stroke and all that shit, right? That's blood family. <laughs> That's what they're good for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, disease. <laughs> you can find them. I, I mean, I bet it's really difficult in a lot of cases. I, I don't want to say that with great confidence. Uh, but if you want to hunt them down and know more about them, try work with genealogy experts, um, 
do all you can to find them if you want to connect. Because honestly, the, the the people that gave you up for adoption, those people in, beyond just the genetics of it, don't fill a box that you could call family or ancestor beyond just, you know, the genetic soup, right? Mm-hmm. Generations before them uh, may want to help you, may be helping you, may love you anyway. So if you want to find a way to connect with them, I mean, I don't know exactly how you would do it. I, <laughs> When I was growing up, at some point, my dad pulls me aside and he says, hey, I know you and your buddies are going over to, you know, this other town where he grew up. I know you're going to be looking for girls. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you the truth about our family so you don't end up hooking up with a cousin. Oh boy. <laughs> and that's when I learned, you know, my last name is Scott and so was his. So he was concerned that, you know, I wouldn't know who these people are. It turns out these are the people I look like. So, so there wouldn't have been any danger of that. <laughs> but I was in a position of sorts where I was disconnected from an ancestral line and I had to make the decision how much I wanted to connect with that line. And to be honest, my dad died in 2014 and it was after his death that I made the conscious decision to connect with that line. It's been that recent in Mm -hmm. my long practice. If you could figure out who a person is, a real name, some with legitimacy that you can track down. The way I did it was, is I got my dad's real father's obituary and I started looking up all the surviving members that were listed on Facebook. Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were all dead too. So I got their obituaries and it was just all his brothers and sisters. And I got their obituaries. I started looking up their surviving people and I started looking up their kids and stuff on Facebook and I found them. And I just wrote a letter. It says, you know, this is who I am. This is why I'm looking you up. I'm not looking for another Christmas. I'm not looking for another Thanksgiving. I'm just looking for information on my ancestry. If there's any way you can help, that would be great. If you would like to build a bridge to a real relationship, I'm open to it. As long as you are good people, Mm -hmm. we can talk. And like six people replied. Wow. And I started getting information and I started meeting up with people. And I got uh, one one woman who was my uh, second cousin on that line uh, gives me this book where they have been tracking an ancestral line all the way back to the 1500s and stories and dates and time things were attached and it opened up this whole world to me that i didn't know i don't know if any of those people that are listening to that book are interested in me in any way whatsoever but i honor them in general as this sort of just gestalt force of ancestors you can do the same even if you're adopted you don't have to know them to honor this gestalt force of ancestors yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, if you want to dig past a few generations, there starts to be so many people. <laughs> How could you know them all anyway? Right. Yep. Uh, it, it becomes this faceless force. And that's kind of how I visualize them as this force <laughs> in the underworld that I can contact and say, you know, I need help. I'm, I'm, I want to know more about the mysteries of faith. I call on my ancestors to send forth someone to help me with these mysteries. And out of this faceless power walks someone who will help me. I, I can't deeply understand what it must be like to be adopted and want to connect to the ancestors on the line that you were given up from. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that there must be experts out there who can help you find them, I would hope. And I certainly wish you all the luck in the world if you do so. But at the same time, the the people who adopted you are your family. Blood's not required to be family. They're your family. That's right. Yeah. And like I encourage people much the same way. It's like your family, you were pulled into and brought into and loved by a family and, and that becomes your family and your blood lineage may also be interested too. And there might be a way to connect with them, especially even if you can't find out who they are, because once you get back certain far, we're not going to know who anyone's names are, or how they interacted, but those forces are still reaching out in some way. And we can honor them like you mentioned earlier. And also we have ancestors that we honor and work with that are not necessarily related to family lines or other ways. Uh, uh, I call them family of choice. There's, yeah, there's a lot yep. of folks in our, in our past that we can honor and, and respect and, and do work with that, um, uh, as part of that ancestral lineage in a lot of ways. So that's yeah. really interesting stuff. Uh, a great, that, you unpacked a lot in that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, you mentioned that there may be family that still wants to connect with you from the adopted part of the tribe. Yeah. My, my dad's real dad had all the knowledge in the world of us and me and my sister and everything made a conscious decision to have nothing to do with any of us. Yeah. And I've learned since that everybody says, well, his wife made him do it. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. If I have a kid, it by any means was, I, whatever circumstances arise out of the birth of my child, I'm going to have a relationship with my child. Uh, it's really important to me to never abandon anyone that I love like that. And I, that maybe part of that value comes to the fact that I have a broken part of the line where there was abandonment. But when I was a kid, we every Christmas and birthday, we get a present from an Aunt Mary. <laughs> mm. And as I got older, I couldn't figure out how Mary was our aunt. yeah she wasn't on mom's side i she was never at any of dad's family reunion stuff like where's aunt mary (laughs) and then i started wondering if she's just one of dad's really good friends it wasn't until i researched all this stuff i find well that's my dad's real dad's sister so he was she was my dad's aunt Uh, she's my great aunt so she chose and i've learned much to the irritation of her sister-in-law to have an ongoing relationship with my dad and then us, whether they liked it or not, Hmm. you know, now there's a kick-ass ancestor to have, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You probably have one too. We all probably have one somewhere. Unfortunately, it may not be from a line where you actually knew them, but I think with research, you're likely to find one. That's awesome. Ancestor work is really interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Oh, and you said they're not all of family, and you're right. Uh, I teach an ancestor course, and in the course, I teach people to honor there are ancestors of blood and bone. That's all the stuff we've been kind of talking about, right? Yes. Of course, that has a greater. I don't know. It just has this nice, <laughs> has this nice sound to it, but it, it 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 should envelop adoption and everything else. It's just that sort of family unit. Then there's spirit or ancestors of spirit, you know, uh, those who are made it possible for us to be practicing this today, to be so open about what we do today. John, you and I can stand out on a street corner and scream at the sky in the middle of high noon traffic that we worship Odin (laughs) (laughs) and no one's going to lock you up in a gulag or a cell or burn you at a stake for it. These are incredible times. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes, they are. You can march into a church and say, hail Satan. No one's going to burn you. (laughs) They won't like you. (laughs) They're not going to like that. They're not going to burn you. Now, disclaimer, I'm saying this in Illinois. I'm not sure that's true in some places. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But whatever. Uh, the spirit, ancestors of spirit, all those people that made this, all of this possible. Um, and then ancestors of spirit, ancestors of hearth, same sort of idea. You know, like I'm a, I'm a martial artist. Haley, Grandmaster Haleo Gracie of uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is, is an honored ancestor as far as I'm concerned. So are other greats along those lines. I'm a practicing hypnotist 10 years now. Milton Erickson is an honored ancestor as far as I'm concerned in that practice. I often am inspired by his work and his word and how I work with other clients and and so on. Just think of the things that you're passionate about in life and the people who made those things possible and influenced you in their work somehow. They too are ancestors as far as going to your altar or your in your ancestral practice and honoring them. They count. They do. And it, and I encourage folks to work with them because they're important to connect to as well in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Well, Lonnie, we have been chatting for quite a while. We have. And <laughs> a lot of fun. Where can people find you and what kind of services do you offer, especially like with your reading, your hypnotism aspects and the services that you provide in those ways? Yeah. Let's check all the boxes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people find you? Yeah. If, for- if you're looking for my readings, uh, Tarot, uh, tarot, runes, whatever. You can go to my website, tarotheathen.com and find me there. Uh, if you want to check out my podcast, it's a good fun. I promise you're going to like it. <laughs> it's weirdwebradio.com, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, most of your podcast apps, anywhere you get your podcasts. 
and uh, you can stream each episode straight from my website. Uh, if you need help with hypnosis and you're looking for help to stop smoking, deal with stress or anxiety, something of that nature, I offer sessions long distance over Skype if you're interested. Uh, you can reach me through either my local website, which is mattoonhypnosis.com, or if you're even curious about being a hypnotist one day or you want to contact me through another site, you can hit me through althypnosis.com. A little throwback to those early internet days when it was alt heathen or (laughs) (laughs) alt alt pagan you know that kind of thing um yeah that's that's pretty much that's pretty much everywhere that you can find that's great i'll I'll have links in the show notes as well as to el has a blaze which is a compendium of chaos heathenry yes a lot of different essays that's uh that are really interesting i've read a lot of them not all uh as a compendium it's great to be able to pick it up and set it down uh, to pick up different essays as the mood strikes yep i thank you again for doing that it was really yeah, it was a really good time being here. Thank you for having me, John. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And folks, do check out Weird Web Weird Web Radio. <laughs> uh, don't say that fast. Uh, it is a lot of fun. He's got some really great guests on there. Some interesting topics. Matt Aron was on there. You had Christopher Smith with uh, his book on Icelandic magic and a few other interesting folks recently. So it's a lot of fun to listen to your to your your podcast. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Great. Thanks a lot, Lonnie. And uh, we'll see you in the the web of weird here and there. And uh, thanks a lot. Awesome. Stay weird out there, my friends. (laughs) Follow me on Twitter at Weird Gifts. Like my Facebook page at Gifts of the Weird. Send me an email with ideas for topics or maybe some heathen musicians or guests that you think might be interesting to listen to on the podcast. Gifts of the Weird at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for links. Thank you, and hail the gods. Neither of us found quite what we seek. This is a price we pay. I wish that I could take it back. I wish that we could start again. Was it wrong to love so fast when all it comes? Say pride goes before the fall Broken hearts upon my wall Reap the crops that I have sown Nothing but regrets to call my own